Hey babes, how are we all doing? How are we all feeling? I, you know, I should have a little more energy. I should really be carrying the team. I shouldn't tell you guys just how slumpy I feel in this like post-holiday slumperness. I don't know what to call it. This post-holiday experience that I'm having. I don't know why. I feel like this year's whiplash coming from the holiday season and going back into reality and working is harsher than it has been in other years. I'm just like, whoa, like what the fuck? Where are we? What year is it? It's like when you wake up from a nap, a really good nap. You know the flavor, like the nap that you lose yourself in and you wake up and you're like, is it 2006? Is it 2063? Like you don't know what year it is. That's kind of how I feel coming back to life. But I missed you guys terribly and I'm really excited to be back. I'm really excited for this next season, for you guys to hear it, for us to just hang out for another year, which is like also why it's so crazy to think that we are coming back to reality and we just came from this long break and now we just have to work for like another year and then wait for the next holiday break. And I don't know about you, like my holidays, the days do start to blend together, but not as much this year because I guess because I'm planning the wedding and everything and it's like a month away, so it's go time. But also my family is just exhausting. Like mine and Dylan's families, we're seeing them all the time over the holidays, which I love, but it's kind of like you're buying things and you're returning things and it's just crazy. I do want to catch you guys up on everything because I just made a whole list of things that I can only talk to you guys about. We'll do a solo episode next week, so buckle up for that shit show. But I do want to catch you up on a few things beforehand. I had my birthday, which is when we last talked. And I have a whole, I mean, I'm kind of reevaluating my belief about reposting people's birthday posts, you know, on Instagram, like when your friend says like, happy birthday or whatever, and tags you in a post and then you repost it. Because initially I thought that we do that. It's a way of saying thank you to your friend. Like, yeah, I acknowledge that you posted this. Thank you so much. I mean, I guess I suppose you could just DM them. And then I started to think when I see other people do it, I'm like, bitch, you are thirsty as fuck. This is an attention grab to show like how many friends you have and a way of parading your many plentiful friendships online. But I don't know. I don't know where I stand. The jury's kind of out because then when my birthday comes around here, I am like reposting every single post looking like an absolute moron. So yeah, I don't really know where I stand on it, but I'm very curious what you guys think because... I hate it when it's not my birthday. And then when it's me, I'm like, I guess this is just what we do. I don't know. Anyway, then Dylan and I, we had Christmas, we had Hanukkah, we did all the things. And then we made a mistake. Our mistake was attempting to fill in our seating chart for our wedding over the holiday season, which is supposed to be a very relaxing, joyful, merry time. And you know what is not joyful or merry is a fucking seating chart. And everyone told us this. This was not news to me. Like I knew that everyone dreads or like says that the worst part of their whole wedding process was a seating chart. And Dylan and I were like, oh no, ours won't be that hard. We're so incredible. Look at us, blah, blah, blah. We thought our shit didn't stink and we thought we were going to be fine. Whoo! Oh my God. Were we fucking wrong as fuck? We were wrong. I mean, We almost got divorced before we even got married. It was immediately divided. It turned into a war. It was getting very heated. And then we finally were just like, we actually can't do this anymore. I don't know. I just can't do seating charts. God does not want that for me. I have to rise above. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like my wedding planner can just seat everyone and then everyone will be with random people. I don't know. It's what a disaster. I mean, whoever invented the seating chart. So we're going to table that. Oh, and then another fun thing that happened over the holidays, which like happens honestly so many months in a row, like ever since I decided not to be on birth control, but to still have sex. I had like a pregnancy scare, which like they're always kind of after you get pregnant one time mistakenly, I feel like maybe. But also my friends who haven't gotten pregnant before also get freaked out all the time. So I don't know. I feel like it's just a female thing. It's our cross to bear in this life. I didn't have a pregnancy scare. My boobs hurt more prematurely than they normally do during PMS. They were hurting for like two weeks. So I was like, that's it. I'm pregnant. I'm going to be pregnant in my wedding dress, blah, blah, blah. And the reason that I bring that up is just because There's a special place in hell for the people that write articles that are like the headline is differences between PMS and early pregnancy symptoms and then continue the article by saying there is literally no difference between PMS symptoms and early pregnancy signs. There's literally not a difference. They're like your boobs can hurt in both times. Like they honestly kind of want to convince you you're pregnant. So anyway, I was like down a spiral and then I got my period. Glory be to God. Jesus, thank God really dodged a bullet there. 
But yeah, it just was like reading all these Google articles like at three in the morning being like, what the fuck? Why can't we just like actually figure out a earlier way to test earlier than the early pregnancy test? The, literally the only difference they're like if you see blood but then if you see blood it could be early implantation spotting if and you could be pregnant so it's like come on we need more definitive pregnant or non-pregnant qualifiers okay anyway enough about me enough about me we'll get more and more into this juicy stuff i swear you guys i have a list a mile long of things that i want to talk to you about but let's jump straight to our guest today. We have Kamora Lee Simmons on the show today, who, if you don't know her, is a model, businesswoman, fashion designer, venture capitalist, entrepreneur, TV personality, philanthropist, and author. And let me add, she is also a mother of five. Kamora is fucking hilarious. I don't know about you guys, but I watched Kamara Life in the Fab Lane religiously. All throughout my adolescence, like when she says, I, I say this to Kamara, which was like humiliating in every way, but I had to. When she says, I'm a mogul, I'm a model, and best of all, I'm a mom. And it goes, in the fabulous, okay, enough. Her theme song for that just like sticks in your head. And when I wanted to introduce her, I didn't want to say she's a model, businesswoman. I wanted to say she's a mogul, a model, and best of all, she's a mom. Because, hello. But yeah, anyway, she was unbelievably hilarious and it was fun to check in with her because I haven't really heard from her much since those days of life in the fab lane where we had such an intimate look into her life. And then now those kids are like in their 20s and they're modeling and, you know, she has three more kids. So her life has just evolved so much since then. She's had so many relationships since then. So she talked about all of her past relationships, which was, as you can imagine, so fun. She talked about why those relationships didn't work out. She explained in a very Kimura way how to claim your power and be a total badass. Now, the word badass to me is like super cringy, but I swear like the way that Kimura talks about it, I'm buying what she's selling. She really is a badass and she takes no bullshit and she's so quick and real and funny. And so if I ever were to take badass lessons, it would be definitely from Kimora Lee Simmons, which we all have the opportunity to do in this episode. Of course, I asked her about raising five kids and co-parenting with her. I think she's had five kids with four different fathers. So that co-parenting can't be easy, especially over the holidays. I just couldn't help myself, you guys. I had to ask her on all of our Bravo-holic behalfs about if she would ever join Real Housewives because I've never really had a casting suggestion, even though I feel like I know the craziest of the crazy in Los Angeles. But Kimora Lee Simmons is the one person that I always think of and a lot of people always think of when it comes to Real Housewives because she's made for it. Like, she's made for reality television. Like, she would just shake that shit up and give everyone a run for their money. And, like, Beverly Hills is so flat right now. Like, we need a little Kimora juice in Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I won't give away her answer, but it's very interesting. That's all I'll say. So before I give you any more spoilers and leave you with any more cliffhangers... I just want to say, go easy on yourself this time of year. I feel like I say that about every time of year, but every every time of the year has its challenges, you know? But this one is really going to test us. Jumping back into reality, going back to work, realizing how many responsibilities and crazy things we have to do, and hating ourselves for all the stuff that we didn't get done over the holidays and promised ourselves we'd get done this month. I don't know. Just like take a deep breath. And that's all really the advice I can give you. But I love you and I'm here with you. And there are so many of us hating life like right now. I mean, I hate to put it like that, but you know what I mean? You get me. Okay. Here actually is Kimora Lee Simmons. Hi, Kimora. <laughs> Hi, Jane. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I know I always say this is like the most awkward part of my entire existence are these hellos that I have to do on these podcasts. We've been talking for a little bit before and then I just have to say hi again. I hate it. Exactly. But at least it's a little animated because it was funny. Yes. <laughs> and it, it was fast. <laughs> so hi. 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 How are you? So tell me about the holidays in your household. Is it? I mean, with five kids, you must be just not in hell, but just in a crazy time. Yeah, the holidays are a little definitely crazy. We do probably a mixture, a combination of things between traveling and staycations. So it always depends. I'm always trying to get to the water somehow. But yeah, it's always, you know, traveling with kids and getting the holidays ready. And I think that they, you know, I have 22, 22, 13 year olds and a seven year old. And they're like, 
So do you think Santa can take these things if we travel? Oh, my God. <laughs> so it's God. like saying, Mom, are you Santa? And the older <laughs> yes. ones, like Ming is 22 and Aoki's 20. And they're like, right. so, Mom, have you been able to talk to Santa? <laughs> and I'm like, it, it, it's it's me. I'm he. Is he that is the rule? Is that the rule? Like they have to like pretend that they still believe? No, no. It's just a kind of a joking way of like, hey, can you get this for me for the holidays? I think that's really what it and is. And like a less direct way of saying buy this for me. Exactly. But does your seven-year-old? My younger one, he probably definitely thinks Santa is, I don't know, real or some aspect of that. I don't know. He's his name is Wolf. He's mature beyond his years because he has older brothers. So I'm not sure yeah. he, but whatever, I'll kind of stick with it until my cover's blown. Right. Exactly. I remember because I'm the youngest of my family. And I remember I had this thought that if I told my parents that I didn't believe in Santa anymore, that it would ruin the whole Christmas for everyone. Cause then my parents would stop doing gifts on Christmas. Like I thought I was the last like string that was making us hold on by exactly. my belief. But that wasn't the case, obviously. But but that's what I want them to think. I yeah, of think course. That, like kind of behave in that way. Like, yeah, don't yes. spoil it for the next person or whatever. I have lots of friends coming up in my time that are like different backgrounds and religions yeah. and just absolutely don't, you know, believe in it or adhere to anything about that. And that's fine. But don't ruin it for the next one that thinks like this fat white man is falling down the chimney. Let <laughs> him fall down the chimney. So, you know, it's like to each his own. And definitely if you're in the household, it's like, don't roll your eyes and ruin it for like the little kid who believes Absolutely. like someone's eating those cookies in the night. We're just going to leave it at that. <laughs> totally. No, like I still, I wish I still believed in Santa. Like what a, an incredible world we'd live in, you know, if we exactly. all did. Now we know the truth. Right. You've been in the parenting saddle for, I mean, how long? All my long? life. All your life, right? It's so crazy. I was such a diehard Life in the Fab Lane fan. And I watched that throughout so much of my childhood and adolescence. And that was just Ming and Aoki together. And a little bit Kenzo. Kenzo okay, came yes, at the towards end. the You're end. Right. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe that you watched that. Do you tell your family members that? Because of you know, course. like, I know your family and like you from when you were little. And yes. I never, I haven't talked to them in a while. I'm like the most, I think I'm, I feel like I'm one of the world's most popular, like recluses. Like you might know me, but really you don't. Or you, yes. you don't see me. And so I haven't seen them in forever. No, I think that's the best way to be. But like to know that like if you watch that, like did you ever even say, oh yeah, that's Kimura? Because they would be like, oh yeah, Kimura. Yes. No, like they would walk in my room. That's so cute. I when I tell you I watched it religiously, but also we were such a fat farm and baby fat family. I had the phone for years. Of course, everything. It was like the best. I, I mean, I'm obsessed with baby fat and still It's am. like a cultural... Um, time. I was going to say revolution, but that's probably not the right word. No, well, maybe let's go it is. With it. I don't know. Yes. If you think about, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you think about independence and like being just badasses, that's probably was us. <laughs> For sure. So it's, I just wonder, because I have to ask you, is the reality show door closed for you? It's not closed for me, but I don't have any, I'm not like going in that direction right now. Like I, I can't even think of my life and I have so much behind the scenes of my life that's like business and investments and kids. I mean, all those things obviously could be reality and just the drama of my life. I don't know. So it's not on the table, but it's not that it couldn't be. It's just that it isn't right now. Right. You know, there's a difference. Like I don't have talks looming and I don't have meetings and sometimes they'll come, but it won't just won't be the right opportunity. I do get a lot of little things here and I'll say little things, but like offers, yeah. but they just won't be what I want. They're not little offers. They're probably the biggest offers that there could possibly be in the game. But it's just not, you know, I for whatever reason, I don't go those directions. And I haven't. So yeah. it's not to say I wouldn't, but it would have to be like the proper. Objectively, you are an unbelievable reality star. I mean, you're not just that, obviously. You're millions of other things, but you are incredible at reality TV. Like you're just good at it. Which is so crazy. I never even thought that, but I get, I mean, thank you. But I guess we were among the first. So, you know, it seems like a while, but I guess so. I guess so. Cause everybody says this and they still watch it or they remember it or it's, it, it's in other countries still. And so, yeah. No, that show was unbelievable like when you say like I'm a mogul and a model and best of all I'm a mom like it's I remember best. that that's it's okay I remember that and that is so me to this day but when I think about like friends of mine that have like reality shows a lot of my friends most of my friends yeah and they're like on 
their 180 second, their 182, 180 second season. Right. I couldn't. No, I couldn't. My nerves are bad. I would have cursed somebody out. I couldn't take it. I just, that's not my life. I can't. Totally. It seems like insurmountable to me. It's like amazing to me that certain people could hang on that long. It definitely just says a lot. It is a lot of hard work. It is crazy. And I think everything that people get from that or around that or whatever that has to do with that is kind of incredible because it is a lot of hard work. We're not going to pretend like it's not. And some people just, they love that. But I mean, it really is a camera in your face, up your butt, kind of like 24-7, even when it's not 24-7. We all know how it's produced. But even when it's not, it is a lot. It's intrusive. It's just a lot. It's exhausting for me. But when I clear my head one day, we'll see. And like now I get projects for the girls and the girls and myself. And I've talked to like various people, like I've said, that are like big people, like Bling Empire or like the house wives. And so I don't know, maybe, you know, we'll see. I wouldn't do those, but I mean, we would see, we would yeah. see. Cause everyone wants you on housewives. Like truly. I I've don't never, know why I never, everyone is like dying for you to join Beverly Hills just because you would shake shit up. You, I mean, you're just like this dynamo, but I can't be, first of all, I don't watch TV. Right, so okay. I don't really watch any TV. I don't know. I know a lot of things, but that's just from proximity or from hearing or from passing through. I really don't watch TV. So I've never really seen these 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 shows, but I know all of the women uh-huh. um, and I like all of the women mm-hmm. and some of the women I like a lot. Like, what in the hell is going on? You think I'm going to go there and they know me and I know them and we've been there for years. I don't know. Like the world thinks I'm going to go and like bicker with who? <laughs> who would I bicker with? Because you know it's a setup. Someone's right. bickering. I don't know. They're laughing at your china or you didn't. Ho- I mean, and these are things that, like I absolutely don't live my life by. Right. You will be my friend and I will trip you going down the steps. <laughs> like I don't do that catty weird shit. Like I just it, and that seems like what so much of TV is about. So I just never understand, which is why I don't go on. I never understand what the storyline would be. But since right. it never just goes away, someone could tell me like what that storyline would be. And if it's not, if it's interesting, not boring, and I don't have to fight somebody, maybe I would consider it. But yeah, no, it's definitely a lot of fighting. They seem a little catty, right? It's, no, it's crazy. When I really think about it, I don't think that you would love it, but I think that they would love you, is what I'm going to say. And I can't even do that. Like, I like Garcelle, I like Kyle, I like Kathy. Like, there's a p- couple of girls I don't know, actually, now that I think about it. And that's who they turn you against, you know? I know the, I see Lisa Renna around, like, who am I bickering with? They would set you up. They'd stir the pot in some crazy way. And I can't take that. You know that. So I would even come to work and then when do I get, when is the setup? Is it in the confessional or is it actually in the scene? Because you know I'm going to turn around. I'm going to break the wall. I'm going to say, okay, so which one of you was produced to say this? Because you bitches know that's not right. My whole existence is going to be talking from the front to the back, breaking through the wall and saying, who did this? And they're going to be like, Maura, you can't do that. (laughs) You're too real. You're too real for reality. That's the issue. Now I could give them all counseling sessions. I could like, (laughs) I want to go to their house and have dinner parties. They can come to mine. But not to be like kikiing about my China girl. If you have (laughs) a kiki, honey, then you drop some new China off. (laughs) But other than that, you have to shut your pie hole. I can't. And I love them and I respect them. And I don't like that. Like sometimes I feel like I've heard funny things. Sorry, that's my coaxing. Don't say that. But I've heard funny things. Like they make you look like, you know, crazy or they edit you to look like, I don't know, old and babbling or, you know, young and loose. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Oh, they edit you into a nightmare for sure. I don't know how people are just wired so differently that they can handle that much drama, that much, not only what happens on screen, it's like the public opinion of it all, which obviously you're no stranger to. How do you handle public opinion today and like people talking negatively about you? I really don't think I handle it. There's not too much handling. I don't really see it. I don't really feel it. I don't really live my life by that. It's never really affected me. There have been times, I'll say, but not yeah. not on a regular ongoing basis. No, I'm not mm-hmm. like in the blogs like that. I'm not something yeah. to like 
you know, I, I, even if I am, I never would read the story. So I don't watch TV and I don't read press about myself. But then of course I have Ming and Aoki. So they tell me stuff. And of course with the brand, you know, it's like, oh mom, someone said the waistband was cheap. How could you do this? And I'm like, wait a minute, is that an isolated incident? Like, where'd you get this waistband information? Someone tell me I'll fix it. You know? So of course they do hear things and see things. And some of those things are constructive for, you know, business and other things are not. They're like terribly poisonous. So I really just don't, I, tr- I don't get into it and I try to navigate them through as much as I can. Like they, it's not like they tell me every single thing, even though we're very close. So I try to help navigate it. And there are a lot of times that even recently, yeah, I've been in the press for shit. And luckily I think I managed to stay clear, like pretty yeah. clean, pretty clear. I don't think yeah, I stumble into some stuff that's like not necessarily of my doing and I end up there, but I, I always get out and I, you know, I think it just goes back to the whole kind of reality concept. People know me or they think they know me or they know of me. You know me. I'm not biting my tongue. I'm not kind of mixing my words. You know, I get out, I, 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 I get into stuff, but I, I kind of keep my nose clean and like, I keep my head up and I think it's okay. And so far, fingers crossed of my life, it's been okay. And I've come out okay. And even as far as like gossip and stuff like that, tabloids and issues, I always am okay. It's always someone around me that's the drama. You know how they say, am I the drama? Is it me? It's not me. It's not me this time. I am in all of it, but it's not me. And so I think I managed to be pretty clean. And I think that is because of my work ethic and my personality and my, you know, I'm just not known for mixing that up and I kind of shoot straight and I think I keep it pretty clean and I don't really bother about it. Yeah, it's good to be a supporting character in the drama, not necessarily to be the main focus of the drama, but exactly. If you post something online, do you just not read the comments? No, I don't read the comments. Rarely, rarely. So you'll see that I've been there, but I don't go too low. And when I do go, it's like, you know, just decent. Like, hey, it's fabulous. Hey, you're back. Or nice to see this or blah, 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 blah. It's not too much drama. And if it's drama, no, I don't really pay attention. The drama is going to be, what's the drama? Oh, your husband said this. Oh, well, which one, girl? Right. I'm like, not going to get into that. You know, <laughs> so-and-so said you, well, did I really, really, did they say that? Like, it's just, no, I don't see that. And they're not really writing that. And who gives a shit? No. I would imagine that having two girls that are coming up in the modeling and social media industry, I would imagine that that would probably help you with your own navigating of like the trolls and stuff because of what you're having to tell them to like help them cope. Does the mom bear ever come out and you want to just like light a troll on fire for like how they came at Ming or Aoki? Sometimes it does. But again, I think that's like rare because usually Aoki is very feisty She's like a clapback queen, they say, or whatever you call that. Like, she has no problem standing her own. She definitely sticks up for her sister. Ming, even though she's the older one, she's definitely the more, the quieter one. And like a little bit, I won't say calmer, that's not the right word, but a little bit more the reserved one. And so maybe feel the urge sometimes when I hear things, but not like really. Yeah. Not too much. No. And I find out even if you do say or get into a little something, it feels like always, why did I do that? Exactly. No, I feel like, yeah, you'd be like, why did I even get into the weeds or why did I even give this person the time of day for being so nasty? Yeah. It's just, I don't know that it comes out, but Yoki does it a lot and she does it very well. I feel like being a Gen Zer, you have to, you got to just like comment back on everything that people say about you. It's like- And the way she can read someone with her, you know, intellectual, like um, Ivy League, intellectual Ivy League diss, it's like, poor thing. Like, you don't even know that you were just blown to pieces. (laughs) It was so polite and it was so like, grit your teeth. So I love that so much. I'll leave it to her. I'll leave. And I always say, you better be careful because I don't know what are you getting off into? Is it politics? You know, what in your life do you want to do? Because honey, you and all these little things you're starting, but she navigates it and she handles it very well for herself. I'm very proud of her. And she doesn't back down. That's like me. Right. And so I think it's okay. And they, they've grown up in it and they know how to navigate. Don't go too far in any given direction. Yeah. So well, t- let's talk about a time where maybe you didn't have as firm of a handle on the haters and people talking negatively about you. Let's go back to like the beginning. So you grew up in Missouri, right? Yeah. St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, Missouri. And you started modeling really young. 
right? Like 11 or something? Yeah, I started modeling like locally in Missouri. Like what was I going to do with my life? And so I did little gigs and I thought maybe I was going to be like a broadcast journalist. I went to school. I mean, obviously at that, that age I was in school, but even older, like I went to college and I thought maybe like broadcast journalism in my life. Um, so it was between that and like modeling and I got like local gigs, like St. Louis is the Midwest. So you have like, I don't know, Ralston Purina, or we have like a mall called like Plaza Frontenac and it might have a little bit of high end stores in there, but like, you know, so how much modeling are you doing? It's like dog food or the, like the insert in the Sunday paper or whatever. Right. So that was when I was young. And then that led me to like 13 when I went to, well, I mean, I did a little jump, but like 13, I went to Paris and my first real gig was Chanel, was Carl Lagerfeld of Chanel. I, I mean, like I said, I jumped a little bit, a couple of years, but I was like 12 or 13 going into Paris. Yeah, I was, it would have been my junior high. Is that junior high, high yeah, school? Yeah. yeah, that's junior high, which is crazy. So I know that you felt a great dose of difference. Like you felt like you looked different. Maybe you were different personality-wise. Did you feel more different before you started modeling or once you were catapulted into that industry? No, I think definitely it was the difference of, it was before the modeling, because I think the modeling was kind of like the icing on the cake that kind of seals all the cracks. And I feel like the modeling is a place that I belonged. That's why maybe it it came so well to me and it was so much fun for me. And I think it was just a time that I actually did fit in and you kind of fit in by sticking out. And so that was a place where it was okay. The fashion industry where anything is accepted, you know, like pretty much. And almost, you know, what's really different is really at times special, right? Yeah. And what's kind of like done all the time sometimes gets a little boring. And so, and I started in Paris. That's why I went to Paris. So it definitely is different. It's not like your typical blonde hair, blue eyed. Like I always say, you know, not Cindy Crawford from Chicago, right. where these girls are like, I'm not Nikki Taylor, where they go to, right. where do they go? New York. You know, I'm not that girl. I had to go to Paris where there's like Terry Mugler and Jean-Paul Gaultier. And yes, I got in at Chanel, but it's it's kind of that European flair. Anywhere in Europe, I think is a little bit more fashion forward with like the times and the style and the look of people and 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 the mixture and cultural. I think it's just a little bit more fashion forward over there, a little bit more forward, I guess. No, definitely. Were there other multiracial people in school? None, none. So not only were you multiracial, but you were six feet tall, right? And I was raised by a single mom. And so my mom is 100% Asian, raising a kid that looks like me, which is a little weird. So that was already a lot. And she's a single mom. So it wasn't the same as like, that two parent household thing. And it wasn't the same as like, I got everything I wanted. A lot of my, that my peers or my friends got, it was a little bit different to have a single working mom and me, which was another reason I was working just for myself to get my life together and have my own money. And so, yeah, there was no, I always say like a mix when I was growing up was like Mariah Carey or a mix was like half black, half white. That's exotic. And there's maybe one or two of those kids in the whole school mm -hmm. of junior high or whatever. Right. So like, how did that manifest itself within you before you maybe found more of your way in the modeling industry? And I want to unpack that because I'm sure there were a set of their own obstacles within that world. But how did that manifest itself in you? Because you are this, as we all have known you, you are this strong, you know, badass woman that says what she thinks that has paved such an incredible career for herself. But I would imagine like when you were younger, I mean, maybe you've always been this person, but did you feel like less than your friends? Like when you went over to other people, like, did you not invite friends over to your house? Like, how did that manifest itself? Like, did you try to hide parts of your life? What did that look like? No, I never, I was probably more, when I was younger, I was more of a loner. So I probably mm -hmm. didn't have a lot of friends. I was modeling so young. So I was, you know, I was working by the hour, filling out vouchers and stuff like that. And these kids were like doing other things. So I think I was more like, to myself and kind of making my way. I'm an only child. So I have other brothers and sisters, but from my dad, not my mom. So I didn't grow up with them in like in house necessarily. And again, that's like a, a single mom, only child. It's like kind of being a latchkey kid. Like you're on your own. You let yourself in. You have a key around your neck. It's like a different time. Like these things that you see when it's like when you were growing up, you know, yeah, 
how many times did you go outside and play by yourself? I mean, people Never raise their hand like once. every day. You yeah, know? right. Yeah. So I think I was more like really to myself. I don't think it, and that's probably the, how it manifested in the fact that I was probably a little bit different, a little bit more of a loner. Um, yeah, kids kind of teased me and I, I just because I was a little bit tall, I, not a little bit, a lot taller. I was like six feet tall at 13. And so, you know, yeah, I was just doing my own thing. I didn't really pay attention to them. I probably thought I had my sight set on something different and it wasn't like being like, you know, you, you brat, you know, yeah. you, whoever, whoever this girl is like saying whatever, it's not like you. I just was thinking something different and I probably had to play that, that, that was my mental soundtrack to be able to make it through such a weird time and such a weird, like it's, I always say like St. Louis is like landlocked, you know? And it's like, I had to get out of there and I wanted to do something different and I did look different and I was way taller and I just didn't blend in and I've just never blended in since then. And it was just, there's right. no point in trying. So I learned, I think to accept myself, that's the point of it all. How did I grow up? How did I make it through? I learned to accept myself and I did that by going places and immersing myself where I was accepted. And for me, that was fashion and high fashion. And it was Paris was my first stop, but it was also, um, it, you know, Milan and, and London. And then I came around to New York, obviously. And I just did that kind of circuit as a model. And I think that was where I belonged and that worked for me. And I had such long, crazy legs and being on the runway, that was something. And I made friends with all these girls and that was something different. And they're the most beautiful women in the world. And so, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, exactly. You're <laughs> I'm like, in a good oh, place. Shit. Yeah. I'll stay here. You know, it was like that. No, get in where you fit in. Exactly. Totally. But so that's what I'm, I'm kind of curious about because now, obviously, with you are raising two daughters who are stepping into the modeling industry. And nowadays, modeling is so synonymous with it's almost like you can be an Instagram model, you can be any, a, a lot of different kinds of models, but it is kind of this stamp of like, okay, like, I'm good looking, right? Or I'm pretty or yeah, something. Yeah. Did you feel that when you first started or did that take, did someone recognize that in you? Like, did you know that you were this gorgeous thing? No, no, no. I knew I was a thing and I knew it was a little bit different, but it yeah. took definitely meeting Carl and growing up with him and under his wing and his tutelage and uh, all of those collections season after season and working with him and and working in, you know, in the house every day in the house, like in the house of Chanel, in the cabine and like just seeing things from the inside out. And I started to realize, which I think as any, it's like a dream story for a little girl, as any young girl would realize if you were probably at Chanel 31 Rue Cambone, Coco Chanel's house, and your life, your daily life consists of all these fabrics and all these people and all this haute couture and these pearls on top of pearls and diamonds on top of diamonds you probably would be like, yeah, I'm okay. I realize that I'm okay. And what was so odd about me is now applauded or whatever now is, is, is revered. And so, yeah, you learn to kind of get in where you fit in. But I think another way that all of that is manifested in my life also is that I've always been the type. So I've been in fashion for over 20 something years and all of my life, I think it has shown in Everything from like my choice of partners to my children's names to models that I have chosen time and time again to be in my runway shows that have gone, you know, back when Baby Fat was like top one, two, three runway shows in New York during Fashion Week. It was me, Mark Jacobs, and I don't know who the other one would be. So I think it's in my choice of models, my ad campaigns, everything I've done has been from people always tease me and say like, you are really the UN. You're like Angelina Jolie, except for you like had all these kids, except for one. Now I've adopted one Gary. Yes. So I didn't have him, but, but I threaten him as though I had him when he acts <laughs> up. I do say that. And you know, I'll, you know, like I'll say, you put me through so much. And he'll be like, mom, I wasn't even there when you were little. Well, it doesn't matter for the years you've been here. <laughs> you still get it. Yes, of course. But like I have five kids. And so I think my life, yeah, it's like the kind of like, it's very multi-culti and I'm always trying yeah. to give back and I'm always trying to recognize talent in like quote unquote strange places. And some of my beauties that have been like on my pages and in my campaigns and on my runways, when they got to me, they maybe weren't the most beautiful, but when they left me, they were very beautiful. When they left me, they were Victoria's Secret models. When they left me, they were Revlon models. When they left me, they were doing other things. That was my time, you know? So I think like, 
yeah, I give that back. I put that back, right. what I've gotten, I put that energy back out into the universe. And, and nowadays, obviously, nowadays, these days, yes. <laughs> the world is multi-culti, right? And the world is blended. And the world looks like New York, Milan, Paris, all, all rolled up into one. Yes. Like now the ki- all the kids go to school and they all have, you know, they all have these little mushroom Afro cuts that are like faded up the back, like my yes. Kenzo yes. and like all the boys have that. So they're all mixed with something or looking all types of gorgeous shades of everything. And, you know, and Carl Lagerfeld said that he said Kimura is the face of the 21st century. Absolutely. No, you are such a, you, you've paved the way for so many and that's so evident in your life and your children and everything that you do. And so I, you know, I see the positive part of it. So much of what destroys us as children pushes us as the ambition or the fire within us to push us to what we succeed in our adulthood. Was there any symptom of that that was negative that you had to work through? I feel like all the time in our life, we have this kind of soundtrack or we have something of that, like you say, that inner voice Mm -hmm. that kind of sticks with you all the time. And, you know, we try to purposely talk ourselves. You know, we know the rule. We know the blueprint. We know the steps. (laughs) When we hear this like voice, we try to go around it. But I feel like always for me, it was something about that little inner nagging thing would always be about your girl. Mm-hmm. You're a woman and they mm-hmm. said girls can't do that or women can't have that or women don't belong here or they're not meant to be the CEOs. They're not meant to be owners of their company or, you know, you're the weird looking one. Whatever these things are, I think you mm-hmm. grow up hearing those things, but it gets you through and and you combat it with your life and your emotions and everything. I think you learn to counteract that effect, that little negative voice, if you would. But I think it's something that we always have it in there and we always carry it around with us. And it's probably most of the things now that I would say like, I don't give a fuck. Most of those, I don't give a fuck things are probably those things that (laughs) I've carried through life. Right. But now I've really learned honestly, and I practice what I preach and I do have kids, young kids. And so I try to teach and instill in them the, some of the same things and the same messages of resilience and mm-hmm. acceptance and inclusion. And so I think it's just kind of a routine, like practice makes perfect kind of thing. Yes. But it's not that it doesn't go away, that little voice or whatever. Something's not always there. It's just, I think you react differently and you don't let it define you and it doesn't disappear, but it doesn't define you. Right. So you had such an incredible model as a mother. I don't want to force you to go into this too much, but I'm curious about, did your dad ever come back into your life? And was that a sore part of your childhood? So my dad, um, I was raised by my mom. My dad was always around, but not really like in my life. He was kind of just in and out. And no, we never really had like a close relationship, but I know him and I knew him. He's passed away now, but I knew him and, you know, it was, it was fine. But that also probably would have been some of my more defining moments. The fact that you have to make that fine, the fact that you have to be okay with that. And it happens to a lot of people that, you know, now it's like if you go into a room and it's not a great thing but if you go into a room and say like how many of us here are you know from a family that has experienced or seen like divorce or separation or how many of us here have more than one mom or dad right plus 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 everybody's raising their hands so yeah it becomes a part of your resilience and your story and you know, not that I think it's the greatest situation, but we do find ourselves in these situations. And I think we navigate is the point. And so the same way that I would have to help my kids or teach them to navigate, or even just by a lesson or example of my life, I think that they, you know, it's something that I had to navigate too. And so, yeah, I'm sure it defined me, but not in any kind of way that was like, I couldn't adjust. Right. So you now can use parts of maybe the parts that you had to adjust to and, you know, adjust the sales to like your childhood, you can now use those tactics and that experience to help your kids whenever they struggle with something maybe like that. thousand percent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, of course. And it molds us and it shapes us. And we use these lessons as we go through life. So I call upon that and I can refer to it. And so hopefully some good has come out of it. Absolutely. I think it's 
obvious that it has. So tell me about confidence and because that's such a buzzword, right? Everyone wants confidence. Everyone wants to know how you create it. Everyone wants to know, like they want a secret path, a secret recipe to find confidence. But I'm just wondering, when do you feel like you first established your voice and where do you think your your courage first had to show up? I feel like all the way through my voice and my courage all the way through because I was working at such a young age and I was on my own, you know, in Europe at such a young age. And so I think that takes courage and that takes your voice and to be able to a voice and to be able to then turn that into a business, into a fashion, you know, business and empire. And I think to go through the, some of the things I've gone through in my life. Yeah. I think that takes a voice and it takes courage and it's something that you're always cultivating and the deals only get harder and bigger and tougher as you climb to the top or as you get a day older or a day wiser, right? It only gets hopefully better, but also bigger and the drama is bigger. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's something that I'm always cultivating is that idea of like of confidence, but it definitely shapes me and it frames like how I, my reference point to the, to the world. And it, again, it's something that you just practice makes perfect, you know, every day. And it changes every day. We're not feeling like the most confident every day. We're not feeling the, our absolute sexiest, our absolute most gorgeous, Mm -mm. the smartest (laughs) in the room, whatever that may be. We're not always feeling that at all times, but we do have our moments. Right. And and so we should take those moments, I think. So we're always learning to kind of cultivate that and live with that. Absolutely. When do you last recall, and it can be something that's safe for you to share here, but when did you last recall your confidence being shaken in some capacity? When was the most recent time where even for just a moment you had to be like, you had to remember who you are? Oh, I think sometimes having five kids, I think sometimes (laughs) my kids can do that. Yeah, especially the teenagers or the little not teenagers anymore. But they grow up, the girls, and they grow up and they're their own person and they have their own things and they want to talk and and want to go, you know, think through their own steps and stages of life. And I think sometimes to be like supportive to them and, and, and sometimes take a look at some of the things that they say and how they think and to be able to address it. I think all of that is kind of a dance yeah. that we do. And so I feel like my confidence shaken on a regular daily basis, <laughs> not just with kids, but it, in life yeah. in business, it could be deals. Sometimes you might feel like, a lot of attacks coming in or a lot of uh, drama coming at you. Why is that coming? Is that the energy that you're bringing? Like what is going on? So I feel little things every day, but I also think that those things are given to the most promising or, you know, to who much is given, much is expected kind of thing. Or the more that you're juggling, obviously the more of these issues might come up or little problems that might shake your confidence. So again, I think it's just kind of a normal part of life. We all have something. So as I think I told you, I'm in my 20s, and so are a lot of people that listen to this podcast. And I only say that because I think in your 20s is around the time where you really start to blame your parents for every deficiency in your character, your psyche, your personality, everything that you are inept at or don't have is because of your parents. And I know better than that. And I think often it takes us actually becoming parents ourselves to realize that the people that we give the honorary title of our parents are actually, in fact, just people who are doing the best with whatever tools they have or don't have. But I think it's so hard as a parent and it can be really scary to become a parent because whatever you do or say or whichever ways you act, there is a chance that your kids will see that as a way that you fucked them up, quote unquote. And you have five fucking kids, which obviously heightens the chances that that's going to happen to you. Do you ever feel like your kids just blame you for stuff? Yeah, I go through that every day with my kids for sure. And to have two that are like 22 and 20, I go through that every day. And I feel like that with my mom. And I think we all go through it with our parents. But I think we just have to understand that like we're human. So when we're thinking about our moms or like how I teach my kids is that when you're going through all this self-exploration and all this coming to the light with all your knowledge, you know, whoever these people are, in this case, we're talking about our moms or me as the mom, Right. they're only human too. And they only did the best they could. Exactly. And they did the best that they knew how at the time. And I was a young mom. So I kind of grew up with Ming and Aoki. How old were you when you had them? I think like 23. 
Wow. So how old were you during Life in the Fab Lane? Well, in my 20s, for sure, right? Wow. I guess my 20s and 30s, because Ming and Aoki was, is with me the whole time, right. pretty much. No, you have to understand, I was not watching it from like this standpoint that you were the same age as me. Or was it maybe my 30s? I'm not even sure. It was so long, like 10 years, right? Probably. Yes. That's crazy. You were so young. Yeah, I did everything very young, even like get married and all of that. Yes. Yeah, very young. Let's talk about female friendships. One of my favorite topics to discuss because I feel like there is no right answer. All of us are lost in the sauce of what to do with a friend that you don't feel is serving the purpose of a friend any longer or who has betrayed you in some capacity. And something tells me that you are familiar with this experience. So what are your female friendships like and what have they been like in the past, particularly when you know you needed to end it? I feel like now for myself, I have, you know, I managed to have a, a few close friends. I think that's very important. You mm -hmm. may only have, you know, one or two or three of those. And I have a lot of people that I know throughout my life and acquaintances. I mean, anybody from acquaintances all the way to dear friends that I love. But just from growing up and going through life, and I think you definitely kind of see who stands the test of time and how your personalities just kind of come together. And I feel like other ones, I've had friendships as well, like you said, and they're just a little bit more toxic or self-serving for the other party. And it really doesn't, there's really nothing that I'm getting out of this. And, and so I have no, pro zero problems to walk on and mind my business. And I maybe bet. that's a problem for me. I don't have, I have no problem to cut somebody off and that's I'm not always way. great. You know, you're supposed to be able to communicate and hear what they say and listen to what you say and think. I'm not and good feel. at that either. Me either. I will cut you off in a heartbeat. <laughs> me too. And I don't even see it coming. You. Don't mess with me. And you knew that I was like that. So don't even stir it up, you know? Right. So I try to avoid those situations and things that are going to bring out like the, that side of you. And I try to live to like a higher note. And sometimes that means, yeah, people fall off. And I think that's okay too. I have no problems with that either. Because I live my life in a way like I don't mess with people. So if you did something, well, you know what you did. And I don't have a problem to move mm -hmm. on from that. Not at all. Do you think that that's attributable to you having to go through so much of life, not necessarily alone, but... You probably had to develop self-soothing and all of that in, at an early age. A thousand percent. Yeah, I'm sure somebody would say that. Like if it was a psychologist, they yes. were like analyzing. They would definitely yeah. say that. So what are the deal breakers in your friendships? What are things that are on the absolutely not list, will not fly with you, you will not tolerate under any circumstance? I don't know if I have a common thing because I probably end it before the theme becomes active. You know what I mean? But I probably yes. wouldn't tolerate. I don't know. A lot of stuff. Yeah, I don't. I, 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 caddy like stuff. Like, I don't know. Lying, cheating, stealing. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I like, hear yes. so many stories and stuff that's just like crazy. And I do yeah. think that's because, yeah, you're. it's just too much open doors, too much just wide openness. And so I think any of that... I, I don't think I've necessarily had to end any of my friendships due to those things, particularly, but in general, sure. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that, like, you cut it off because, like, so do I. Because I'm like, why do people want all these conversations about why I don't want to be your friend? You know what I mean? Like, once the decision's made, the decision's made. We don't even have a conversation about it. Or I feel like you know what you did. Or I feel like, right. you know, you had so many chances and you just kept doing it, like, being not supportive or whatever, totally. not showing up or... You know, how many times can somebody cry over you cheating? Okay, you did it once, you did it twice. Like, I think you're still doing it. Like, what? Yeah. I, you know, when do you Okay, do you, you go to counseling, you can do this. But, like, at what point? Right. Some things just can't be recycled and recycled in that same way. And I'm talking, like, in relationships. It could be a marriage. It could be dating. It could be friendships, platonic friendships. But, like, they, they morph and they take on their, you know, I think it's about what you're willing to accept for yourself. What you put out into the world is kind of what you're getting back, I think. So all of those things sort of play a part. But I really don't have, like, time for the drama right. or too much, like, fuckery. Like, right. people know me. I don't have time. <laughs> right. You don't play around. No. no so, so I guess, you know, I want to revise my question from earlier asking about confidence and having a voice because I feel like that was innate in you. And I wonder if maybe you struggled more to find, to tap into like the yin, the feminine. Did you ever feel pressure in your relationships to be 
submissive or to dull your fire for a man or for someone else? Uh, not too much because mm-hmm. I'm not a dull fire kind of person. And I think I attract a tourist. Yeah. And I think I, I attract a certain kind of man. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see, you can look at my track record. Yes. It's crazy. <laughs> yes. But one thing they're not is they're not stupid. Mm-hmm. They're like strong, powerful. I'm talking about right. like men, for example, because you said yes. like relationships. Yeah. So they're like powerful men or, you know, like popular men. Or like definitely can go out there and get it done. And that the type of man that I am attracted to is absolutely not. Now, that I'm saying that as kind of a blueprint to the man. Now, that doesn't mean like today, like don't, don't um, confuse that. Don't in any way with like the intimate side of their personality or the right. intimate side of our relationship. Because right. I probably actually don't talk to any of them right now, which is horrendous. <laughs> But that, so it's not, it's not that, you. but I'm just saying, yes. that's not what I'm saying right now. But what we're not going to say is they're not stupid. They're not, you know what I mean? Those kind of men are not looking for some shrinking violet. And mm-hmm. at the same time too, I am very feminine and very in touch with my feminine side. And I know when to use what pencil out of the set. And I'm very in tune to that. But also, so for example, what I'm saying is, and I know this probably sounds like crazy, like old fashioned crazy. I know how to be a good wife. I know how to be a good mother. I am good at these things. That does not mean that if you come in and you're messing around every day or you're doing something stupid or you're lying, cheating Mm -hmm. and stealing or all of the above, you buffoon, that does not mean I'm going to stick around. Now that's when the other side is going to kick in. Like, no, I'm not going to be here till death do us part. You're going to have to die then. Like, you're not going to be able to beat (laughs) on me or like, come on, like brainwash me or, or gaslight me all things that I feel like I've experienced some form of like, no, no, no. How far is that going to go until like my headache is too much. So when, when it's good, it's good. And we all know everybody has a part to play. Yes. Not to the point where your dignity is questioned, unless you like that. The key is dignity, girl. If you want them, if the man can run all over and you don't give a damn, then you don't give a damn. But if it bothers you, be bothered, honey, and move along because you don't have to take that. And don't let somebody let you feel, certainly not a member, if we're talking about relationships of the opposite sex or the same sex, but you're a romantic partner. Don't let them make you feel like you have to settle for less in the bullshit department. You have to settle for less because you're not enough. Now that's crazy. And I think that's the difference of me. You know, I can be very feminine and I can be very strong, but I'm only going to take your bullshit to like some extent. And it's not going to be very far because I've probably, I've had it. I'm not 20. I'm not like (laughs) wide eyed at this whole situation. And so I think it's a little bit different. And for that, women come to me all the time and say like, how do I do this? What do I do? Or like, you know, I wrote a book, Fabulosity. They're like, you should write another one and tell us like, I've learned some things from this crazy opposite sex and I've learned some things from relationships and I've just learned some things from growing up and I learned some things from being the only girl allowed in the room. You know what I mean? When there were no girls in the room, your dad could tell you that like being around when there was no (laughs) one else there because I was married at such a young age and I'm with these guys and there's not that many women like me because they weren't really married or they weren't all really, you know, we're talking, some of them were, some of them were, then that's how I met your mom, for example. But a lot of them were not, they were single and living their life. And Mm -hmm. to this day, they're probably single and living their life. And so I've, I've, rubbed elbows or been, you know, intimately, I mean, not intimately in a romantic sense, but intimately in like a family close to some of these people. So I've seen a lot of things Yeah, you've been and in I've a man's seen world. my friends go through things. I've seen women go through things they shouldn't have to go through. And so I mm-hmm. think in that, it's like kind of a solidarity. What do we do? How do we do it? But I'm very much a champion for women, a champion for any mom, whether it's a single mom or not, you can be married all your life or not. But I'm a champion for us and a champion for what we can do and a champion for how powerful we are and a champion for how beautiful we all are. And I think some of those things are most all of those things resonate with me just throughout life. And I just don't, it might sound like, oh, I'm a toughie, but I can be the hottest, sexiest baddie, but I'm not going to take any shit from you. You'll have to move on down the line with that, (laughs) sir. 
and they can tell you. <laughs> That's why I like, no, you are the person that I want to have this conversation with right now. For example, like I have so many friends that we grew up in this. I hate to even say it like this, but like a girl boss, you know, whatever kind of world. And so we're taught, okay, like we are women, hear us roar. And my mom is tough and I grew up tough. And my dad raised me to be very steadfast in my opinions and the way I speak and whatever. But then you bring in a a male partner and all of a sudden you're like, I'm telling my therapist about a fight that we had the other day. And she's saying, Jade, do you ever think that maybe you're just being super emasculating? And I was like, well, and now I have to balance that as well. Like, how really? You, yes. Like, how do yeah, you? Yeah, you probably are a bit emasculating. I'll say <laughs> I that. Am. I probably I am. am too. But I assure you the types that would be considered emasculated are not the type that you would even look at or consider or raise That's as true. a mother or as an auntie. Those yes. are not the types. There's many different types for many different things. I know plenty of women, fancy, fancy, famous fancy fly women that stay and stay and stay and take all kinds of shit. Yes. Is their life happier? Are you a badder bitch because of that? No, girl. You are tired and crying and I don't know, feel like what? What did you get out of your life? What do you have to show for it? You know, I see a lot, both sides. And I just think that for me, when I get to a certain point where it's just not worth it for me, it's not yeah, I don't know. The benefits like don't out that they don't uh, outweigh the 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 con the the, the, yeah. the the downside. Yeah. And I just don't, you know. I learned to like kind of talk to myself, that inner voice, like to keep pushing you through. So I'm a champion of myself and 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 women, other women, and other moms like me, and other people. Yeah, I'm a champion for them. Like you go, you can have it all. You can be a badass. Get it all. You know, he did that for with you. You don't need him. But I want him. I need him. Okay, you might need him for right now, <laughs> but not for always. We'll help you. Like, you don't have to take this shit unless you want to. You know what I mean? So, and there's a lot of power in that too, being able to choose and being able to, for sure. I've had, when I was growing up, I have had people say like just crazy, crazy things to like, when I was younger, my first husband, Russell, I've had people say to him, I mean, and we're talking like famous people. I won't right. even say the names and I love them. I love these people to this day and they're good to me and my children. I love them. But I have heard people say that would like rock your eardrums off if I said these names that like when I was younger would say like, you let her have a job. Right. Looking like she looks like, look at her. She's so beautiful, and like young and pretty. You let her have a job. She's going to leave you. Like I've heard people say that. Let her. Can you imagine? She's not going to leave you because you have a job. You let her have it. Yeah, let her. She's not going to leave you because you allow her to have a job. She's going to leave you because you abused her in some way or like oppressed her in some way or whatever clown shit you were doing. Not because she had a job or not because you allowed her to speak up. I mean, you know, I've heard crazy shit said by people. Yeah. Like, was that ever even a question for you? Because you've had some these relationships with these juggernauts of men you know what I mean a thousand percent that was a question when I was younger yeah the world doesn't realize like my first husband was 20 years almost 20 years older than me like when everybody's talking about all these things that we talk about you could do the math (laughs) I was in high school so yeah you know and he was 30 what six seven something like that 38 I don't know somewhere around there but for sure so there's definitely some things that come into that that's just like Mm -hmm. you're not I don't know, old enough to speak, to speak up or even to have a thought or be present in this room or, you know, who are you? I've had people say to me like, okay, little girl. I mean, that's when I was younger, but like if I would get into an argument with somebody over nothing and they would be like, okay, little girl. Or they would say to him like, you're going to let this little girl talk to me like that. Yeah. I've been in rooms like that. Uh, uh, Oh my God. It's tough for women to like be in our own lane and kind of live to our own, you know, standards. But at the end of the day, you have to go to sleep with yourself. You have to be okay to live with yourself. And make uh, moves that your children or your friends or you are going to be okay with. That you can look back and say, like, yeah, I took care of that inner child. I took care of that little girl. Even if I came back around and got her years later, I addressed it. But I'm doing that or I'm doing that work. You have to be okay with that. No boyfriend or, or girlfriend or relationship can define that for you. And a lot, a lot of times, period, point blank, we let it define us. We do. But it's not supposed to, and it'll just lead you into like a world of craziness. How do you help a friend who's in an objectively shitty relationship? 
I am not here for any of that. No. Like, no, oh, no, no I'm not no. here for any of that. I really am the one that's like, let's go. We can go and I'll help you. I'm not, I'll come pick you up. Mm. <laughs> I'll help you get your, get on your feet, get your life together. I'll take your kids. I'll watch them. I'll keep them. Whatever <laughs> you need to be a bad bitch. Right. But that's the category that I'm in and let's go. And I really don't want a man to get in the way of that. I really don't want some catty shit to get in the way of that. That's the kind of the drama that I don't have time for. And I feel like a lot of people, while we're on our quest to be like a better us or for a higher something, we just don't have time for that. So I, I just, I weed that part out. All of my relationships have been for a time mm -hmm. wonderful, right? but then things happen or then things turn and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not always our fault. And sometimes it can be, but not always. We are literally living with the uh, whims and psychological traumas of another human. And oftentimes I see it and it's like a, a man against a woman. I'm not trying to bash. Yes. But, no, but you know, and you truth. have to be strong enough to like get, get on your own two feet. Yeah. If I wasn't, I would not have made it out of any relationship that I was in. Irrespective of any of the men that you've ever been with, just knowing when you have to get out. And knowing like how to do that, was that hardest after your first relationship? No, I never had it. I never, never, never had it. And that's why I'm saying I, um, I think it has taught me to kind of be that for others. Yeah, because that's, I think, the hardest thing. It's so hard for people to know, okay, like what is miserable enough? You know, what is unhappy enough? How much of myself is normal to sacrifice in a relationship? Because everyone hears that relationships are hard. Or even just sacrifice yourself for the sake of compromise. None of it. None of it. I mean, we do sacrifice. But like yeah. when you start feeling beat up or you're crying all the time or you're being disrespected, that's a big one. Yeah. When, when you're disrespecting yourself and you know... Uh, when that inner voice, you start talking too loud about the disrespectful things or the insecurities get loud, you know, and someone is like feeding into that thing and not uh, helping you through when they're kind of, when they're abusive in any kind of way. And abuse is not just physical. Abuse is mental. Abuse can be financial. Abuse can be a lot of things that look like control and power and kind of dom domineering. And you learn to adopt a little bit of a persona there, right? To like navigate yourself out. It's like a kid being in the, you know, uh, that's been abused. You hear all these stories about how they kind of adopted another personality to navigate themselves through. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes that's where like the tough kind of independent, strong thing, that's where it comes from because it kind of had to come. Something that I love that is this just small way that I see you do that is is in your kids' names. Was it ever a conversation with you and whomever you were having the kid with at the time that Lee was going to be in the name? That is so crazy that you asked me that. Have I ever said that someplace else? No. Or what made you say no, that? You are no, really so good. Are you like a psychology you. major? <laughs> no, no, no. I just, I Are don't you know. studying to be a doctor or have you <laughs> no. ever, you like say the best shit. You're like no, getting in my you. head. I love it. I don't think I've ever had thank an interview you. like this because oh you're God, like really you. like, I could tell you've been there. I could tell yes. you've like done this. I can tell <laughs> yes. you absolutely know what I'm talking about. It's not like, oh, she's crazy. What no, the hell is she saying? I can tell you're like in the, you asked the, oh my gosh. You are you. fucking good. If I could turn my camera on and show you, I'd look too crazy. But if I could show the world, my face is like, you are really great. You Thank are great. Thank you so look much. At that. Oh look my at gosh. that. Thank you. Like, okay, so Lee was just a thing for me. I don't really know. I think it came from being quite proud of my Asian side of my heritage and not wanting to lose that. Just quickly, for everyone listening that doesn't know, all five of Kimora's kids have Lee in their name. So whether it's Ming Lee Simmons, Aoki Lee Simmons, Wolf Lee Simmons, you get the gist. And that is not saying ever that I wanted to lose any part of my heritage, but it's to say that other parts of my heritage, such as the Black side, the African-American side, I think it speaks for itself. I don't think I'm losing that. Or, you know, being raised by my mom, being an Asian mom, raising a mixed kid. So I, I just saw certain difficulties there. And I think just being so proud of that side that's oftentimes pushed out and forgotten about, trying to not let that happen. So I think that's kind of a thing with the names, all of our names. And and the Lee was just kind of, it's in my mom's name. It's in my grand, her mother's name. Yeah. And it's in my name. And it's it's something, yeah, that I just carried forward. But it in a very odd way, it became like my my little tribe. 
Right. And it's like the tribe of Lee and it's kind of us. And I don't know who's trying to break that around here, these five <laughs> kids, but I'm going to go talk to them about it. But, you Seriously. know, yeah, that's who we are. That's us. And, and, and it became just my thing because, yeah, I realize names change and you get married and you take on this name of this man and you're so proud and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's supposed to solve all your problems and worries in the world and you lose all your identity and you become <laughs> exactly. this, this cute little wife with exactly. this name. Exactly. Yes. But then the story kind of blows up or it's not quite how you think or some of the, you know, things become too much and now you're moving on and it's another name or what do you do with that name or right. now you have kids with the name and right. You could even just, you could even look at like, at like the Kardashians and the Jenners, you know, like so many times I, I think of them. I only said that their name now in this, in this interview, but I think of them a lot in some of these parallels, but like, look at those names. Like how many names is it? And do you change or do you keep, or do you go with the new one? And again, I think all of those should be within our decisions and within our realm of power to make those decisions, not like something that was put on us from whatever uh, someone told us that it had to be or how it was going to be. I think it should be. And yes, I do think you should have respect for your sanctity of your marriage or your union or whatever Mm -hmm. that is, your partnership, but you don't have to take or change or do something to because someone told you that you had to. Yes. Yes. And I feel like a lot of things in these day and age have changed that, you know, you have to consider all the different things when you're putting those things together, such as like names and breaking up and getting together, divorces and who takes right. what. And yeah, I think it's, it just kind of plays a part. And I re- so the point of it is you realize those things change and your pretty little bubble picture isn't always so mm-hmm. you know pretty and it, it's not going along the script that you wrote for yourself when you were 10 or eight. And so then you, so yeah, the Lee thing just kind of helped me keep, I think my little group together to pay homage, but also, yeah, to give that little bit of power back Mm -hmm. to the situation, if you would, for myself, my own, my little tribe. It was a non-negotiable. Was it a discussion each time that you had a kid? Never, never, never. Never. No, no, no. It's just a thing. You love them. You love the name. I love the name. And like, right. look at my it's kids amazing. and no guy's coming along and telling me what it's not. And even if you had a name, Spaghetti, and you really, that was so important to you to have that kid named Spaghetti, it's Spaghetti Lee. Yep. And you yep. don't have anything to say about that because you chose Spaghetti. I wouldn't go for spaghetti, by the way, but you know, okay, you chose that. So if you chose that, I definitely have Lee. And if you don't choose, then you really are not into it as much as me anyway. So you probably wouldn't have anything to say. Mm. I think for, for all accounts, it's like important to me and not as much to them or whatever, whatever. I won that, you know, it wasn't even an argument. Like, no, it's not even brought up. It's not even a thing. No, I love that because it's such a power move. And it's so, I love that all your kids now have Lee because it is, those are your peeps. I love that. Yeah, that's our thing. That's your thing. I love it. Well, that is it for us. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I can't thank you enough. I, I'm obsessed with you and you're incredible. So I, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. You too. Thank you so much. And please tell your family hi. I will. And, and I'm so proud of you and thank all the things you. that you ask. And you're just like right in tune with everything. It's been such a great interview, such a great thank you so much. chat. And I hope that people can like I hope we've helped some people or maybe given them some insight or whatever. Maybe they're going to be like, that bitch Kimora is crazy. But the point is that, you know, we're winning and as women and we have to support one another and it never comes in the size, shape or package that we think it should be for Mm -hmm. ourselves and for others. Life just doesn't go that way. So at the end of the day, try your best to be a bad bitch. And that starts with you. And that starts with like us supporting and saying that every day and saying it to one another and saying it when we didn't feel it for real and living it, trying it on for size when we thought it never would fit us. I think that's the point. At any moment, you can take your life and you can make it what you want. You can pick yourself up. You can reach out and ask for help. That's a big thing. But like, make it what you want. Don't let somebody else tell you what it has to be. That's the point. You are such a gift. You are seriously such a gift. I learned so much from this interview. I know everyone listening will learn so much from you. Like, you're an icon. Thank you. Thank you. Me too. I learned so much from you. Thank you. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.